0: Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.
1: Welcome to the mini break. your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, August 11th. It was a day at the 2022 National Bank Open in Canada that had all of us wondering by the end of it, who has stood out? amongst the field thus far, who have been the best players through the first few rounds of action at the 1,000-level event happening this week north of the border? That, my friends, is the question I will try to answer on today's show. Now, certainly we know the answer to that question cannot be either of the top two seeds in the men's or women's singles draw, as all four of those players now officially eliminated from the event the latest victim, world number number 1 Iga Swiatek. She sees her 1000 level win streak snapped by one of the rising stars in this 2022 WTA season. Of course, I'm referring to Beatriz Haddad Maia, the Brazilian becoming the first player from her country to reach the quarterfinal of a 1000 level WTA event. She was exceptional in employing all sorts of different tactics to make the world number 1 Swiatek uncomfortable and did Iga play her best today? No, she didn't I'll make the case why I think as much on today's show but again seeing Hadad Maya employ so many different things to make Fiontech uncomfortable a stark reminder of why she's made the rise that she has back up the rankings here this season and you know again I want to remind all of you of the success she has had excuse me not only over the past eight months but really over the past 30 months of play since the tour resumed back in August 2020 but Course, Ega losing, not the only storyline to emerge from the women's action in Toronto today. How about Carolina Pliskova? Something about this surface, this time of year of late seems to bring out her best tennis. Pliskova was not at her best throughout the course of the match from start to finish, but there were enough pockets of excellence to certainly get encouraged about the former world number one who earns a three-set victory over third seed Maria Sakkari. Now, it took her six match points to do it, but again, there were shades of Pliskova pass that when she's serving as well as she is on a surface advantageous to that serve, it's a reminder of the damage she can do. And I want to just remind all of you listeners of that fact here on today's show. And then, you know, we can get get into the continued excellence of Jung Chin Wen. I want to talk a little bit about Simona Halep. Is she having an exceptional season? Is she just, you know, very good? And there is a distinction between exceptional and very good. The stats would indicate exceptional. Our eyes sometimes indicate otherwise. She certainly has an opportunity to earn a signature run on the season this week with the way the draw has broken up in Toronto. And I want to talk about a straight set victory from her, what I saw from her play today and then obviously look at the rest of the draw talk about the upsets talk about the results we saw unfold in Toronto of course the best part of these 1000 level events is not only do we have fantastic women's play all day the men underway as well in Montreal and you know I like that there's a three hour time difference between the two events because typically you have one of the matches starting you know around 10 a.m., 11 a.m. Eastern time. And then you have your final match of the day starting around 10 p.m., 11 p.m. Eastern time. So truly a full day of tennis for us to break down. Of course, some of the matches went a little bit quicker in Montreal today, but that's because some of these men's players just continue to be exceptional, and we spent all of yesterday breaking down the excellence of both Tommy Paul and Nick Kyrgios. They continued that excellence into today's action. I'll explain how, as each of them earned definitive victories on their ways to the quarterfinal, of course. One of the guys who is probably, I think he is, actually, the highest-ranked player, yeah, with Stefano Tsitsipas being knocked out. And by the way, I am well aware I owe all of you some sort of explanation, some sort of description on Jack Draper's game today. I will do that on today's shows. He also advanced over Gael monfi's But the top seed remaining now in the men's draw is fourth seed Kasparud, who found himself in an absolute brawl against Roberto Bautista Agut today, but was one of the more impressive victories for Kasparut, who had to play his best from the start to remain competitive and sustain that level from start to finish in an impressive three-set victory over RBA. We'll get into the mechanics of that win, and again, I clearly got sidetracked there, but as you can see, we've got plenty of fun stuff to discuss today on the men's side, whether it be the run of Jack Draper, whether it be, again, some of the other players, Dan Evans, who have had success this week and so much more. We'll get into it all here on today's show. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you listeners who continue to tune in. As all of you know, there is so much action that happens every day. You miss out on anything. You feel all of a sudden like you're 45 matches behind, and we try to keep things simpler for you here at Crack Rackets. Try to break it all down so that you have all the information you need. Remain the most well-educated, best-informed fans in the business. Of course, we all Always enjoy hearing from you listeners to any of you who chimed into today's discussion on Twitter. I pondered if Nick Kyrgios has had a top five season on the ATP tour this year. Things got spirited, but in the best sort of way. And I appreciate all of you who chimed in as those are the sort of discussions we attempt to have here at Cracked Rackets. Of course, if you'd like to participate in them, you can find us on Twitter at Cracked Rackets. You can find me directly at AL Gruskin, a shout out as well well to our friends at Tennis Point for their support. As they are well aware, you need a daily podcast to break down all the action. And if you're a tennis player, you need to know what You you don't always know, I should say, what you need on the court to bring out the best in your performance, and that is where our friends at Tennis Point come in. Tennis Point, of course, offering all of the best equipment at the best prices all in one location, tennis-point.com, the promo code CR15. Now, once you wander onto their website, you'll inevitably realize you're just behind from an equipment standpoint, and you're going to need one of the many fantastic items they offer to help bring out the best in your game. Well, before you make that purchase, make sure you use our promo code CR15. Not only will I let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, Tennis-Point.com, the symbol, not the spelling, Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get into it. Let's start with the WTA action in Toronto. Certainly, the fact that world number one Iga Swiatek was knocked off your biggest result on the day and look did Ega play her best no she did not was it a c c minus you know d sort of performance no i thought she was b minus b at you know best uh but Beatrice Haddad Maya just took it to her from the start of that match till the end. And for Haddad Maya, ultimately, she earns a 6-3, 3-6, 7-5 victory over the world number one. Now, again, just a stark reminder of how exceptional Haddad Maya has been this season. She's now 41-15 and 15 overall on the year. However, you look for her at the tour level. She now has 36 victories on the tour level during this 2022 season. That number ranks third behind only Iga and Onjabur in terms of most victories on the year. Just a testament to the longevity, to the physicality, to how exceptional this 2022 season has been for haddad Maya, who again is 41 and 15 overall on the year, winning 73% of her matches. Of course, she was exceptional on the grass courts, wins Nottingham, wins Birmingham, loses semifinals in Eastbourne in a extraordinarily competitive match against the eventual champion Petra Kvitova. Now, of course, it was a disappointing first round loss for her at Wimbledon in three sets to Kaya Yuvan, but based off of the success of that grass court season she finds herself in the top 30 of the rankings for the first time all the way up to world number 24 entering this weekend for Haddad Maya it's been the long grind back again she was suspended she violated the anti-doping policy was out for I believe six months and you know had to build her ranking all the way back from scratch at the start of August 2020 but since tennis resumed in this pandemic era. She's played 183 matches. She's 142 and 41. Let me say that again. 142 and 41 overall, winning 78% of her matches. Again, 180 matches over the course of 30 months. And that's probably more months than it's actually been since August 2020. She's playing at least six matches a month. It's no time off. I mean, again, she's just playing week in, week out, and it started at the ITF level. Obviously, you look for her this season again, 41 and 15 overall on the year. She won that one, uh, the two 125K events she's played this year as well. So she's played 19 total events and, you know, you look for her overall, perhaps most impressively in those 19 total events is she's at least one match at every event, but the first match of uh, first event of the season that she's played this year. She lost first round in Melbourne to Sara Sorribes Tormo in three sets. Since then, has won every first round match she's played, except for excuse me, first round Melbourne, first round Wimbledon, and then first round last week in San Jose. But again, through 19 events, she's 16 and three in first rounds of matches. That's just how you build your ranking back. And you look for Haddad Maya this season, who right now ranks 26th in hold percentage. Otherwise, she would be a—or excuse me, 26th in break percentage. Otherwise, she would be a member of the top 25 club, but would be one of just eight WTA players to do that. But if you extend it to the top 26 club, she becomes, again— One of just eight players to rank top 26 in both hold and break percentage this season. I think that's justified. You look for her in the live rankings now all the way up to number 21, a new career high. She's 17th in the points race this season. And yes, she's played a couple of 125 Ks, but you look at her record breakdown. She's five and one against top 20 opponents this season. She beat Sakari twice in three sets. She beats Halep in three sets in Birmingham. A win over Layla Fernandez in Toronto. Now the three-set victory over Iga Swiatek. Yes, three, uh, four of her five victories went to three sets, but five and one. Against top 20 competition this year. And, you know, you look for her against players ranked outside the top 50. She's 30 and 6 overall on the year. Fascinatingly, two losses for her to Claire Lou, who I guess just has her number overall this year. But 41 and 15 speaks for herself. And when you play 183 matches in 30 months, you're just going to find your rhythm. You're going to find a way to, you know, you're going to play 183. Different matches, she's probably played a hundred and fifty total different opponents, you're just going to have to utilize different things during that stretch of time to problem solve your way out of so many different scenarios. And today against Svantec, that's exactly what Haddad Maya did. Now it starts with her success behind her serve. She wins 70% of her first serve points, 58% of her second serve points, was only broken three times against Iga Shviantek. Iga's breaking opponents 54% of the time this season in the what 19 plus 12 is 31 in the 16 17 you know 15 service games Haddad maya played today she was broken only three times obviously that's beating the percentages and how was she able to do that she wasn't afraid to serve to the ego shvantech backhand and Hadad Maya's slider out wide on the ad side. Hadad is a lefty, so obviously she's able to generate, you know, it's a slice-based serve, not a kick base serve. As such, she's able to really slide that ball outside the alley. I mean, she just opened up so much space for herself for the plus one forehand. And if is susceptible to anything, if there's any minute detail you can attack in her game, it's forcing her to hit her forehand on the run because... Given her extreme grip, yes, she moves extraordinarily well. But you know, when that grip has, when that grip is pressured by pace, or you know, she's forced on the run, that grip will produce a shanked error, or will produce some sort of miss, whether it's short in the net because of how extreme that grip is, and because she's on the run, she just doesn't quite get her feet under the ball. Haddad Maya did an exceptional job pressuring that on the run forehand set. Uh, you know, again. On the ad side, she must have hit 60% of her first serves as sliders out wide, and it didn't matter that Iga knew that they were coming because they were that effective in opening up space for herself. That's how she manages to hold serve in all but three of her service games against, dare I say, a generational returner. On the WTA tour, it was also just the pressure she was willing to put on Iga physically. She was willing to play the 10-shot rallies, the 15-shot rallies. She did an excellent job playing down the center third of the court and forcing Iga to open things up. And look, when you, that sounds counterproductive, right? Because we saw how exceptional Iga is at generating openings for herself at the power tennis she's able to play, yet how measured that power looks coming off of her racket because of how in control she is. And yet, when I say Haddad Maya played down the center successfully, she wasn't leaving the ball short. She was either elevating that ball high over the net so that it would be at Iga's shoulder when she made contact with it, or she was keeping that ball deep in the court, you know, getting within two feet of the baseline and pushing Iga off of her offensive positioning. And, you know, then it was Iga generating a short ball, Haddad Maya coming in behind it. I don't have the net points in front of me. I imagine they were numerous for Hadad Maya. Certainly watching the match, it felt like she... Attacked the net relentlessly and just played on her terms. Put Iga under pressure, yet was patient in waiting for the correct moment to be able to hit that approach shot. And then again, took care of business on her serve. I thought she changed up her spots well on the deuce side, playing the slice tee as well as going flat wide to that Iga forehand. Just did a really good job of mixing things up. And, you know, again, you look for Iga. She did make 64% of her first serve. She did fight off 15 of the 19 break points that she faced but she was always under pressure. And I imagine this is one of the 10 matches this season where Iga's unforced error to winner ratio probably slanted more towards the unforced error. She just had troubles generating with that forehand because she was under so much pressure under that wing and just never really found her rhythm, uh, you know, outside of that second set where she played a really clean second set. And even in that second set, though, 6-3 for Iga, I believe it was a 62-minute set. Haddad Maya made Iga work for everything. And, you know, again... Iga faces match point down four five in the third set. She hits an ace T, fights it off, holds for five all, extends the match for five six. But the pressure added up. And credit to Haddad Maya. She played well enough to win the match. Again, she took it more so than Iga handed it to her. That said, you know, Iga seemed a little bit tentative hitting the inside out forehand. She was tentative attacking Haddad Maya's forehand on that ad side, given Haddad Maya's a lefty. I don't think she should have been. Yes, Haddad Maya was doing a good job tracking that ball down, extending the rally. I thought she hit some great squash shots, as they're called, just the the blocks back deep into the court, sort of neutralizing where things stood, getting herself a chance to, you know, re-engage in the point. He was just a little bit tentative, the same way she was a little bit tentative against Caroline Garcia in her loss there, the same way she was—no, I think against Alizé cornet at Wimbledon, honestly, she was just misfiring more than anything else and did not play particularly well. I thought of the three losses, this is the one where Iga played the best, but I also thought this is the match where her—I mean, Caroline Garcia—Caroline Garcia, excuse me, is such a different opponent because she goes for broke so frequently and so early in the rally. This was the first time I've seen Iga get out-physicaled this year. And credit to Haddad Maya, who, again, I mean, 143 and 41... uh, 142 and 41, excuse me, since the start of August 2020. 183 matches in that span of time is just absolutely ludicrous um, but it's a credit to her work ethic and again you look for her in the live rankings now up to new career high of number 21 again her fifth victory over a top 20 opponent this season five and one overall is a ridiculous record and yeah she flopped out of Wimbledon early but you don't think she'll have that on her mind approaching the U.S. Open and certainly she'll be seeded at the major uh, she could be a top 20 seed when all things as all things end up excuse me depending on how these next few weeks go depending if we see any injuries or withdrawals from the open, and it'll be worth it. She has been that good this year. Credit to Haddad Maya, who advances now, and she will face the winner of Belinda Bencic and Garbine Muguruza Bencic. Oh, excuse me. Bencic closes out that match. She earns a 6-1, 6-3 victory over Muguruza. Bencic has been quietly excellent. This year, just a reminder: this is her healthiest season of her career, and we're entering Toronto. Let's be clear: there's still Toronto left, Cincinnati left, U.S. Open left, and let's say minimum she plays three more events uh, after the U.S. Open, so six total match, uh, six total events left. That's not including the World Tour Finals, where right now, by the way, she's eighth overall in the points race. Let's say she plays six more total events, though. Right now, Belinda Bencic overall on this 2022 season. It's been a very successful year for the now world number, I believe, uh, 12 coming into the week. You look for Bencic now this season. She's 30 and 13 overall this year. She's played 43 total matches. She played 62 matches in, uh, in 2015. She played 57 matches last season. Again, she's currently going into, or she's 30 and 13 right now at this point in Canada. Let's say she has six more events left. Let's say she plays an average of two and a half matches in those six more events. So six times two and a half is what, 15? If she plays 15 more matches, you know, she'll hit that 58 number, which will be the second most in her career. Oh, I guess she played 70 matches in 2019. The point being Belinda Bencic is now healthy and playing her best. Leave all of that in, West off, despite that not being some of my best work. Um, the point being, Belinda Bencic is just healthy. And while she's been a part of our tennis lives since, I don't know, 2014, when she played 37 total matches, despite being just 16, 17 years old, she's been a part of our lives for a decade, but she's still just 25 years old. And I do think this is the prime of Belinda Bencic's career. I do think she's playing the best tennis of her career. Certainly, she's serving better than she ever has, and we saw her last night winning 84% of her first serve points, goes unbroken against Serena Williams today, against, yes, a struggling Garbine Muguruza Bencic, equally dominant uh, behind the serve, Bencic winning 84% of her first serve points again, she drops just 13 points on the serve, uh, uh, on serve, excuse me, in what, eight Total service games, 13 points in eight service games. That's less than two points a game. She saves all four break points that she faced. An efficient 6-1, 6-3 victory over Garbine Muguruza. And, of course, we know with Belinda Bencic, it's line drive, front foot, you know, play on your terms sort of tennis. And she's very much one speed, uh, you know, very much going to be power-centric. Although I do think she's moving better, and that has been the biggest thing. Being healthy now, she's just, you know, much more fluid. Coming in and the out of the mover I would compare her to, and I know I always do these cross tour comparisons, but for me that's just more fun. She's a Taylor Fritz category of mover where she anticipates well and with the power she's able to produce when she gets her feet under a ball, it makes up for her lack of an elite first step and lack of elite fluidity. She's a good enough mover now, but you know, there are times when she wasn't a good enough mover where despite all of that power, if you could get her playing defensively, she just wasn't able to extend the rally. She just looks a little bit better in and out of the outer thirds of the court now. And again, a 1-3 victory for her comfortable tonight over Garbine Muguruza for Benchich overall on the year now. She's again 30-13 and 13 overall on the year. She won the title earlier this season in Charleston. So 14 total events. She's now into her eighth quarterfinal of the season. Yeah, folks, eight quarterfinals in 14 events. That's how you get yourself to eighth in the points race, which is where she is entering this quarterfinal round. Of course, some of your other winners on the day as we kind of roll through the rest of the women's action a bit quicker now. How about Simona Halep? What are we going to do? with her 2022 season. Simona Halep now 35-10 and 10 after she earns a 6-2-7-5 victory over Jill Teichman. Things got a little bit dodgy at that end of the match. Halep serving for the match, I believe, up 5-4 in the second set. Plays a sloppy service game. I believe it was three unforced errors, plus a nice Teichman return to level the match at 5-all, but... Halep got back into scrap mode, and for her, ultimately, again able to break and hold to close out the match in straight sets. You look for Simona Halep today. I thought she served pretty well from start to finish in today's match. And you look at the percentages, certainly she made 70% of those first serves, won 82% of her first serve points. I actually think that's been the biggest difference for Simona Halep this season. And by the way, Simona Halep's winning 70% of her first serve points this year. That's a career high. Now she's making 61.4% of her first serves, which is four percent her below her career average and you know the second lowest number of her career lowest number for her since the 2011 season over a decade ago she's clearly though going for more on that first serve at this stage of her career and Simona Halep still just 30 years old turns 31 at the end of September if Serena taught us anything it's that primes now go on much longer than they used to but Samota Halep's not 26 anymore. She doesn't want to spend the entire match in track beat mode, playing, you know, counter-punching tennis, which is exceptional. And the power she can produce, the depth she can produce from six feet behind the baseline, that ha- even 12 feet behind the baseline, that hasn't changed, but... The numbers indicate it. The eye test indicates it. She is going after that first serve more. She is making that adjustment, having that recognition of, okay, I need to win more free points. I need to make life a little bit easier for myself at this stage of my career. And again, she's had a lot of success doing that this season. 35-10 now overall on the year is Simona Halep. Now, she's played 11 total events. She won a title the opening week of the season in Melbourne, has not made a final since, but Eight quarterfinals in 11 events. Isn't that pretty freaking awesome for Simona Halep? And I know I keep having this argument rhetorically with myself, and certainly whenever David Kane comes on the podcast, the fantastic contributor over for tennis.com editorial producer, I should say, senior editorial producer, he would want me to add. Is this Simona Halep as good as the 2019 or start of 2020 version of Simona Halep from the eye test perspective? Maybe not, but again, she's into her eighth quarterfinal, eighth quarterfinal in 11 events this season. That's an elite rate. And where are those you know quarterfinals coming? Indian Wells, you know, Wimbledon uh Certainly, you look for her Dubai earlier this season, Madrid. Those are all high-level events on the grass in Birmingham and Bad Homburg. She's made eight quarterfinals now. Now she's one in four in semifinal matches, and certainly, you know, her effort against Yelena Ostapenko in Dubai, she had that match, had opportunities to close out in straights, gets bageled in the third, leaves a bad taste in your mouth. The 6-4 in the third loss to Haddad Maya in Birmingham was a really fun match, but certainly leaves a bad taste in your mouth. The 3-3 and loss to rabakana at Wimbledon leaves a bad taste in your mouth simply because of the, how poorly Halp served comparatively to how well she had served throughout the early portions of Wimbledon. And, you know, we didn't expect Rebecca to blitz her that way, but then Robocon blitzed everyone that tournament. So I guess hindsight is twenty twenty. But one in four in semis isn't great. Eight quarterfinals in eleven events is phenomenal. And again, for Simona Halep, she's winning 74.5% of her matches this season. That's numbers not including Toronto. You include the Toronto number. She's winning 78% of her matches this season. It's the third highest number of her career. She won 88% in 26 matches in the abbreviated 2020 season. Of course, she loses quarterfinals or round of 16, whatever it was, at Roland-Garros, which was a shock at the time, particularly given it was in straight sets to an unseated player. But of course, that unseated player has a name of Iga Swiatek, and with hindsight, that loss, far more respectable semifinals that year in Australia. I don't remember if she lost to Kenin or Muguruza. I do remember that she had her chances and wasn't able to take it. But certainly, she was one of, if not definitively, the best player on tour. In the 2020 season, in that conversation, same deal in 2019, 2018, where she wins 79 again, 0.3% of her matches. Uh, those are the two best seasons, 2020, 29 uh, and 2018, where she was world number one. That's the only other years that Simona Halep has had a higher win percentage than this season. And, you know, again, she's holding 76.2% of the time. That's a career high by 6%. She's breaking 48.7% of the time, a top five number on the WTA tour and 2% above her career average. The numbers say, and at times the eye tests say, Simona Halep is as good as she's ever been. And that is an argument we will continue to have because, again, one in four in semifinals. Is she definitively a top five contender to capture the U.S. Open title? One of the things she's still missing on her resume, probably the slam where she's had the least success. That said, who else has just as consistently beaten who they have supposed to beat and gotten to round of 16s, quarterfinals, semifinals of events more consistently than Halp? You'd say Iga... I don't know if you'd say anyone else. And with that in mind, almost by default, she's healthy. She's playing good tennis. When she serves well, she's absolutely in that conversation. And again, I think she probably will have to be as we approach the action in New York. I know that wasn't a ton on her match. Again, uh, a pretty... Comfortable two and five win over Jill Teichman, but that's just where things stand with Simona Halep right now. And always worth mentioning again for Simona Halep, she's won. I think it's like seventy eight percent of her matches since August twenty twenty. It's like seventy eight and twenty two, something crazy like that. I don't think the number's that clean, but it's right around that range. She has been exceptional, and you know, again into the quarterfinals now, where according to Tennis Abstract, she's the favorite at this point, to capture the title. And that makes sense. The numbers love Simona Halep right now. But you look at her 25.5% chance to capture the title. Next closest is Carolina Pliskova, who, of course, made the finals of this event last season, a 15.8% chance, according to Tennis Abstract. That comes after she earns pretty impressive, I would say. Pretty impressive will be the final answer. Three-set victory over third seed Maria Sakari for Pliskova was a 6-1, 6-7, 6-3 victory. She had five match points, including three of them in the second set breaker. I thought Sakari locked in, you know, and it's worth noting Pliskova was also up 6-1, 5-3 serve for the match in the second set. Now, Pliskova definitely blinked, and there's a missed forehand away, where after which she destroys her racket in her 5-6 service game. And easy missed forehand approach had all she had to do was make the shot and she wins the point she missed it in the net and she cracks a racket shout out to crack rackets it helped her she holds and yes she drops the three match points she had in the breaker and credit to Sakari who just locked in physically and said nope I'm making this match a track meet if you want to beat me you're gonna have to hit me off the court and then you know the moment Plisco got tentative Sakari went after her forehand but man on this on these quick courts in Canada Pliskova's first serve looks like the first serve that got her to world number one earlier in her career. She went 73% of those first serve points against Sakari, 10 aces, eight double faults, but fought off seven of the nine break points that she faced and just was out in front in all three of her sets because she felt that comfortable on serve. She was able to swing a little bit more freely on second serve and first serve returns. And look, Sakari only made 55% of her first serves. That first serve percentage, as we've talked about on this show numerous times, fluctuates, and while her first serve win percentage continues to increase we've now reached that point of the parabola where is the first serve percentage dropping to the percent that it has actually hurting her more than her improved first serve win percentage is helping her mathematically shout out to parabolas we can do the calculus on that the next time we have david kane on this show but she faced 17 break points against pliskova and it was just trailing for so long expended so much energy to come back in that second set. And that second set breaker, 11-9, the way of Sakari was about a 11-minute track meet uh, she just ran out of juice and the weapons of Pliskova won out, who, despite being now only thirteen and twelve on the year, just a worthy uh worth reminding everyone you look for Carolina Pliskova, the success she's had on hard courts these past two years. Finals Montreal last year, semi Cincinnati, quarterfinals at the US Open. Now, you know, you look for her this year, lost first round Indian Wells, first round Miami, but and I don't think she played the Australian Open uh, this season, but, you know, certainly you look for Karolina Pliskova. She didn't, of course, because she was out with injury. I know the 13 and 12 number isn't exceptional, but, you know, when she lands that first serve it, and when she's hitting it as freely, and, and, you know, the rest of her game is clicking behind it as it was today. She just becomes a different player because that serve is a top-five weapon on the WTA Tour when it's landing. Seriously, top-five sort of weapon. And, you know, you look for her this week, straight-set victories over Krachikova, Anisimova, and Sakari. Confidence boosting wins for Pliskova, who certainly needed them. Again, you look for her overall now on the year. She's 13 and 12 and you know, only into her third quarterfinal of the season, reached them in Strasbourg, Berlin. Now her biggest quarterfinal certainly this year uh, of the year in Toronto for Pliskova. Now in the event, she is going to take on the talented 19-year-old Jung Chin Wen. Chin Wen into the quarterfinals of Toronto first Chinese woman to do so since Li Na you look for Jung Chinwen who of course Came to all of our attention by taking a set off of Iga at the 2022 French Open. She backs that up by reaching the third round at the 2022 Wimbledon. Played a very fun 6-5 match against eventual champion Atlanta Rabacana. Now comes over to the hard courts here in Toronto. And you look for her a tough three-set come-from-behind victory over Rebecca Marino today. Just kind of grinded out Bianca Andreescu. In an, uh, a three-set victory, you look for Jung Chin-wen. 7-5, 5-7, 6-2. She just—it's Belinda Benchich, but with spin, if that makes sense. In that Jung Chin-wen is an aggressive baseliner, and she holds her ground. And it's not the elite Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. Knock your socks off Amanda Nisimova, Arena Sabalenka. Holy crap, they're smoking the cover off the ball. It's much cleaner than that. It's much more effortless. And yet, equally as effective, she just moves the ball around the court so well. And yes, the forehand backswing is big, but her backswing is just so circular, and the action she produces on the ball, the angle she's able to generate cross court. Of course, how well she drives that backhand, and her cross court forehand backhand anywhere combination is her most effective pattern from the baseline. She works you so far off the court with her forehand that her backhand, whether she's driving it to the open court or hitting it down the line behind you, both which she does equally successfully, uh, is just such an effective ball. I mean... I'm all in on Jung Chinwen. How can you not be? 19 years old, 29 and 13 overall on the season you look for her, she's 5 and 7 against top 50 opponents, but that doesn't include her victory over Bianca Andrescu today and you look for her now into the quarterfinals here. Uh, of course, it's her fourth quarterfinal of the season, certainly the biggest quarterfinal of her career and yet round of 16 Roland Garros. You know, even excluding the third-round Wimbledon points, which she would have gotten, she's up to number 41 in the live rankings, a new career high for the 19-year-old. She's currently sitting at number 44 in the points race. And you look amongst the top-ranked teenagers on the WTA Tour. Radhika who's 1. She's going to drop, obviously, after these U.S. Open points come off of her resume unless she's able to defend that title. But she's number one. Goff is two. She's a Grand Slam finalist. Layla Fernandez is three. She's a Grand Slam finalist. Your fourth highest ranked teenager in the world is Jung Chin-Wen. And again, the three players above her on this list are all Grand Slam finalists. It's pretty nice company for Jung Chin-Wen, who certainly played Iga Swiatek closer than any opponent at the French Open this year. Again, that doesn't count as a Grand Slam title, but certainly we keep it in mind for us. And it starts with the serve for Jung Chin-Wen. She served so effectively today uh, against Bianca Andreescu. You look for her, won percent, 74 percent of her first serve points. You know, hit eight aces on the day. The problem what for her today? She only made 44 percent of her first serves. And credit to Andreescu, who. My, is a top-five watch, in my opinion, on the WTA Tour because Bianca Andreescu can literally do anything on a court. She play defense. She play offense. Step up on the ball. Take it early on the rise. Step into the court. Hit the swinging volley. Move forward to the net. Play the drop volley. Hit the massive serve plus one. Take your return early on the rise, as she did against Alize Cornet in her three-set victory last night. And yet, because... Bianca Andreescu can do so many things. She sometimes gets caught up in it and loses plan A or you know, dabbles into plan C when really plan B is what she needed in that moment. And there are just streaks of inconsistency with her, which of course come with a lack of match play for Bianca Andreescu. And you look for Andreescu, even in getting healthy of late, has still just played 23 matches overall this season. 14 and nine overall has only reached two quarterfinals this year, one in Rome, one in Bad Hamburg where, of course, she made the final. I actually thought this was a massive step forward this week for Bianca Andreescu. I thought she looked pretty good today against Jung Chin-Wen, but you could tell the straight set, though, two-and-a-half-hour match against Kasatkina, the two-and-a-half hours last night against uh, Alize Cornet, they just wore Andreescu down. She didn't have enough juice By the end of that match, a three-hour match day against the 19-year-old Jung Chin-Wen. Now, credit to Jung Chin-Wen, who was able to meet the challenge physically. And again, that's a testament to the 19-year-old and her aggression just, again, having Andrescu on a string, moving her corner to corner to corner. It just wore Andrescu down, and that's a credit to the discipline, the rigorousness of the 19-year-old. She's just arrived, folks, again, with her results this week, up to a new career high of number 41 in the live rankings, number 44 in the points race. One more victory, though. She'll jump all the way up to 33 in that points race. Another victory, by the way, from a rankings perspective, she'll jump up to number 32. She should be seated at the 2022 US Open, in my opinion, I think she's one of the best 32 players in the world. And again, in her 29 and 13 record this season, two victories over top 20 opponents, five and seven against top 50 opponents overall, but 6-7. and seven. Uh, Obviously, uh, if you include Andreescu, and perhaps most importantly, she's 24-6 and six against opponents ranked outside the top 50. She's beating who she's supposed to beat. That is how you solidify your spot in the rankings. The 19-year-old has been exceptional and now finds herself in the biggest quarterfinal of her career. First career head-to-head matchup uh, for Pliskova and Jung Chinwen, too, again line drive sort of players. Uh, man, I'm expecting at least one tiebreaker uh, in that match. I think that one's going to get fun. And again, Carolina Pliskova, a 69.8% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract, as of right now. For what it's worth, I keep waiting. I imagine Benchich will be probably a 58% favorite over Beatriz Haddad Maya, But that's the top half of the draw. You look at the bottom half, and we can go through this more quickly. I talked about Simona Halep. She... Is going to take on Coco Goff. And obviously, Goff's three set victory over Arena Sabalenka would normally lead this show. Unfortunately, A, we got to talk about the men's action at some point here today. B, I spent all of yesterday talking about Coco Goff. That said, you look for Coco, 754676. She comes back from three love down in the third to knock off the sixth seeded Sabalenka. Sabalenka's hit 76 double faults in her past four matches. 19 double faults a match. It's just not going to do it, especially when you're playing a top 10 player in the world, which is what Coco Gauff has been this season. Now, you look for Goff who obviously was a French Open finalist, but of course you look at that draw to the French Open final. She only had to face one seed, and that seed was the 31st seed in Elisa Mertens. Now, again... I am not saying that to diminish what Goff accomplished. I am saying that to contextualize my next statement, which is that while she has had some big wins this season, it's been tough for her to follow them up. Case in point, she beats Pliskova in Berlin, loses to Jabour. She, you know, beats Osaka in San Jose, loses to Paula Bedosa. She, you know, gets a good win, uh I believe where, where, there's one more example, oh in Doha over Paula Bedosa before getting knocked out by Maria Sakkari. She's racked up big wins, and she's beaten who she's supposed to beat, but earning multiple big wins in an event. That was the question I had for her yesterday. Could she prove it again against Arena Sabalenka? The answer was yes. She proved it. Fighting off 10 of 14 break points, absorbing enough of Sabalenka's plus-one blows to eventually break Sabalenka's rhythm and get to the point where the inevitable Sabalenka error streak emerges. It was an extraordinarily competitive match. Three-all in the third set breaker, as close as things can get. Goff was the more solid of the two players. She had more options available to her, whether it be, again, defensively or putting some plus-one pressure on Sabalenka. She was exceptional. And for the 18-year-old, into the quarterfinals of Toronto, you look for her in the live rankings. Coco Goff currently sitting at number 12. One more victory in Toronto. She knocks off Simona Halep. She will be making her top 10 debut next week. And, of course, she currently sits all the way up at number 3 In the points race right now, Halep versus Goff. Right now, Halep a 58.4% favorite. Of course, your other matchup, Yulia Putenseva, who advances straight set victory over Ali Risk. She's going to take on Jessica Pegula. I feel bad that I continue to just kind of skate through how exceptional Jessica Pegula has been Again, really since August 2020, but you look for Pagula now, 28-14 and overall on the season. She's only made one final, the final she made in Madrid, only two semifinals, but now into her fifth quarterfinal of the season. And again, 15 total events, not too shabby. And most impressively, it's where those quarterfinals have come. Listen to these five quarterfinals. Australian Open, Roland Garros, where she lost the two eventual champions, Iga and Bardi. Madrid, Miami, Toronto. Big tournament, Jess. For the big events, she has shown up. She's beating who she's supposed to beat. You look for her this season again 28 and 14 overall, but against opponents ranked outside the top 50. Actually, that's fascinating. She's 13 and 7 overall against opponents ranked outside the top 50, but against top 50 opponents, she's 15 and 7. Huh. I'm going to have to look into that. I owe you all further thoughts on Jess Pagula, the success she's had this season. Again, she's fifth overall right now in the points race and, you know, a chance to really solidify her top eight uh, top eight standing with another victory. Very winnable match over Yulia Putenseva. She's a 65.3% favorite. But with that said, extended Breakdown of the action in Toronto, and I felt like that was necessary as I had spent way more time on the men's matches yesterday. With that in mind, though, let's switch gears. Talk about the men. Look at the action that unfolded in Toronto. I'll try not to be repetitive, so not going to go on long Kyrgios or Tommy Paul rants. I will say... Both Kyrgios and Tommy were exceptional. And for Nick Kyrgios, a 6 victory over Alex Diemenauer. That's his, what, ninth consecutive victory. And, you know, the run he's had since Wimbledon, uh, since the start of the grass court season, he made, what, three semifinals, or semifinal, semifinal, withdraw, final of Wimbledon, Title at the City Open. Now, quarterfinals here in Montreal. You look for Kyrgios even without those Wimbledon points. He's back up to number 27 in the live rankings. Kyrgios also now up to 27th in the points race. I mean, he's serving bombs. He's breaking opponents to start sets. He just overwhelmed Hour, whose backhand just could not gain any traction. Kyrios dominated him from backhand to backhand corner. And go watch the break, three or the double break, I think it was, in the first set. Kyrgios, backhand cross-court exchange, and at will, steps up, hit a backhand down the line, winner. He's just feeling it. It's all working right now for the 27-year-old Aussie. Uh, he advances straight-set victory. But now he's going to take on Hubie Hurcots, who's been one of the few people to trip Nick Kyrgios up this season. Hurcots knocked off Kyrgios in the Hollis semifinal, it was a 4-6, 7-6, 7-6 victory. So obviously, expect a lot of serve plus one moving forward. A lot of shot making in that match. Two exceptional athletes who can do a lot of fun things on the court. You look for Hubie, though, fights off a match point and survives today against Albert Ramos-Vinola. 6-7, 6-2, 7-6 victory. Now, Hoobie was only broken twice in the match when 77% of his first serves hit over 10 aces on the day. But just the forehand got a little sloppy. And the inside-out forehand for Albert Ramos-Vinolas just gave Hercats all sorts of difficulties on the day. Now, with that said, you look for Hubie. He's now 30-13 and 13 overall on this season. Yeah, he blinked at Wimbledon, losing first round five sets so to Davidovich Fokina. Yeah, he—you know, but outside of that, you look for Hubie Hercats in first-round matches this year. Just a reminder, he's 10-4 and four overall on the year. And yeah, again, the first-round matches come—losses come at Wimbledon. In, uh in Rome, in Stu- uh, in Stuttgart, and last week in Washington, so we may feel them more pressingly, but he shows up to the big events, and you look for Hubie Hercots now since the start of August 2020, you know that's my favorite framework to turn to, but since then, in terms of his success at the Masters 1000s hardcourt events, you look for Hubie Hercots during this span of time, he's 23-8. and eight since August 2020 at the Masters Hardcourt Events. That obviously includes his run to the title in Miami last season. He makes quarterfinals Canada last year, round of 16 Cincinnati, quarterfinals Indian Wells, semifinals Paris. You look for him this year, round of 16 Indian Wells, semifinals Miami, now quarterfinals in Montreal. He is that guy on the hard courts and you look for him during this 23 and 8 run he's holding 88.9 percent of the time that's obviously would translate to a top five number on the atp tour this season he's also breaking serve 21.3 percent of the time which is above his average for the season of 20.1 percent and just you know again He's a big match player. He's a prime time performer. You look for who be in these events against top 20 players. He's five and five overall has wins, you know, over Rublev, Sitsipa, Chapo, Medvedev, albeit all of those victories coming in Miami. He just can play attacking front foot tennis. He's comfortable moving forward. He moves extraordinarily well for his size, and if you attack to his backhand wing, he's going to make you pay for it, whether it's stepping up, hitting the backhand pass, down the line, the lob, the short angle cross court. He just threw, the, you know, again, he, he played survival tennis. He maybe didn't serve his absolute best today, made only 61% of his first serves. He's at 64% average for the season but he did enough and again just physically he is able to stick around and you know muck things up that Albert Ramos-Vinolas wasn't able to cruise, served well enough to get himself enough holds on the board to stay competitive and then you know second set t- uh, third set breaker just Played aggressive front foot tennis, was physical on his return points, and takes it 7-3. So credit to Hubie Hercats, again, another quarterfinal for him at the Masters events. He's been as consistent as just about anyone on the ATP Tour since August 2020 at these big events. And next up, he's got Kyrgios. And according to Tennis Abstract, Kyrgios a 54.4% favorite. That, again, is the respect for Hubi at these events, the respect for Hubi, who beat Kyrgios 7-6 in the third. Hopefully we get another matchup like that, but... Man, that top—the stark contrast between the top half and the bottom half of the draw on the men's side is truly what's exceptional. You look at this top half of the draw, Kyrgios versus Hubie, who I think we all agree have at the very worst been top 20 players this season on one half. The other half, Casper Rude versus Felix Ogier-Aliassime, like— Just lather me up in juice. I mean, no, we don't get Medvedev. Three of the top eight seeds, though, still, you know, all of your top eight seeds still alive in that half of the draw. And Kyrgios as the Medvedev replacement just works in this scenario. But, man, I think Kasparud probably played the match of his season today in a three-set, 6-7, 7-6, 6-4 victory over Roberto Bautista Agut. Now, he fights off seven of the nine break points that he faces, wins 72% of his first serve points, and just physically was locked in from the start against Bautista Agut. And, you know, you look at this match, a lot of backhand cross-court exchanges. Casper's backhand held up. And again, 57 winners for him today against 32 unforced errors. I can't stress enough how impressive that number is, given the physicality, given the length of just about every rally throughout the course of this match. Casper was disciplined. He didn't force the issue. He was fine exchanging backhands cross-court until an attackable moment, whether it be the backhand up the line, which he hit extraordinarily well. Certainly the backhand up the line winner, he hit on set point for to take the second set is the shot we'll all remember from this match. How about his backhand cross-court pass, 4-5-3 in the breaker? Maybe it was 4-3, but the short angle backhand cross-court pass he hit in that second set breaker as well. Just two instances of the many in which his backhand held up, and RBA is so disciplined and relentless in his patterns. He just... Peppers, that ad side corner, he baits you into challenging his on-the-run forehand. Not only did Rude pass the test in the backhand-to-backhand exchange, Rude was not afraid to test that on-the-run RBA forehand. Not only did he hit his backhand down the line definitively, but, you know, again, Kasparud wants to trade forehands. Kasparud, the stick on the Kasparud forehand can match just about anyone. And the way Rude was just relentless in the topspin he put on that ball, the heaviness. You know, again, RBA did his thing. He did win the first set 7-6. He did have plenty of opportunities to break back in this match and level things in the third and second sets. Um, but, Kasparov was just slightly better in the biggest moments. Kasparov was just slightly—it was slightly easier for him to manufacture winners on both the forehand and backhand wing. Casper also hit a quiet 10 aces in this match. Got aced 10 times by RBA, but I thought he served well, hit all of his spots well. And again, you look for Kasparov, ho-hummer. Thirty-seven and thirteen overall this year, just winning seventy-four percent of his matches, holding a career high eighty-seven percent of the time. Now the break percentage has dipped a bit for him this season, but again in that thirty-seven and thirteen run, he's played sixteen total tournaments. He's won three titles: Buenos Aires, Geneva, and Geneva and Stad. Of course, finalist at the Roland Garros, uh, at the French Open, excuse me, and Miami Masters, and now into his ninth quarterfinal in 16 events. That's how you find yourself at number six in the ATP rankings. And currently sitting at sixth, uh, excuse me, currently sitting, you look in the points race right now, Kasparud sitting fourth in the points race right now. And there's a 500 plus point gap between him and fifth place Daniil Medvedev. So a little bit of padding for Kasparud, who always just worth remembering Kasparud, 40 and 18 overall on hard courts since August 2020 the you know more people say you know people more people accuse other people falsely of calling Casper a clay court specialist no one calls Casper a clay court specialist anymore because again 40 and 18 on hard courts since August 2020 look for him at the Masters event was quarterfinals Cincinnati last year quarterfinals Canada last year Paris quarterfinals, Indian Wells round of 16, Miami final this year, now Montreal quarterfinals this year as well. He loses second round to Indian Wells, but who is that loss to? Nick Kyrgios, who has obviously been freaking Nick Kyrgios this season. So Casper is just in the hunt. And again, in an era of seeming inconsistency outside of Novak and Rafa, we're never quite sure who's going to emerge week in, week out. Kasperud, Hubi Hercats have quietly just been two of those guys who have hummed along. And again, the backhand looks better and better for Kasperud. Certainly the speed of these courts help his ball hit through the court a little bit more on that wing. But Man, physically, what a challenge that was against RBA, and I'm fascinated because three hours, 18 minutes on court, how much juice is he going to have left in the tank tomorrow against Felix Ogier-Aliassime? Felix played one of his better matches of this season and gets some revenge. He loses last week in the Los Campos semifinals to Cam Norrie. First loss for him against Norrie in his career, I believe, was 4-0 and entering the match, but it was all business today. For Felix Ogier Ali who earns a straight set 6'3, 6'4 victory over Nori in front of a roaring crowd. Felix had 15 aces in today's match. He made 39 of 46 first serves, won 36 of 39 first serve points. He dropped six points on serve today. And why do I have Felix as a tier one player on my list? It's because there are times when he can hit this gear where as a server and as a plus one aggressor power tennis on your own terms player, he just hits you off the court. He just can hit that gear of power tennis that only the elite of the elite players can play. And even when he's not his most consistent or even when that level fluctuates and he does look a little stiff when plan A is not going perfectly in a match, when he finds that A game much like the second set against Nori last week in Los Cabos. He may have lost that match, but boy, did he turn things around in the second set. Had two break points to go up an early break in the third. Today, there was no playing around. And to see the backhand pass he hit, to set up the break point chances uh, in the first set, and just, again, how decisive he was. I love the sound of his forehand more than I love the sound of any uh, other stroke on the ATP Tour and maybe in the sport right now and you look for Felix who's holding a career high for 84.8% of the time it's the fourth consecutive year of growth for him as a server and he continues to climb closer and closer to being a top 10 top 5 server on the ATP tour he is breaking serve 20.5% of the time which is still out you know a like 41st amongst top 50 players, but above his career average, he's getting better as a server. He becomes more fluid in and out of the outer thirds of the court. He can be an elite athlete. He has an elite first step. He's just a little bit stiff in and out of those corners. It reminds me of a young Tsitsipas, but I just think there's a little bit more in FAA's game. He and Kasparu, two and two. Career head-to-head between the two, and they faced off um, uh, three of the four times on Clay Courts. Rude, two of his three wins uh, on Clay. The one time they faced off on hard courts. Felix, a three-set victory in the 2019 Miami Masters. Now, a lot has changed since then. They're both top ten players in the world, but man, is that a fun quarterfinal. Other half of the draw... Gets a little bit funky. And just, you know, again, we'll kind of blitz through these guys as we wrap today's show. Talked enough about Tommy Paul. Fourth quarterfinal in his last six events. The other two events were fourth round Wimbledon, which I think is probably more impressive than some of the other quarterfinals, as well as a first round loss last week to eventual champion Nick Kyrgios in Washington, D.C. Tommy was just better than Marin Cilic today at everything. And there was a confidence where it was like, okay, I'm going to break you. And when I break you, you know, you're not going to break me today because I have you on a string and I'm playing discipline plus one aggressive tennis, not letting you dictate with your forehand. He had Chilich moving and Chilich wasn't able to be the aggressor. Four and two win for Tommy. He's been exceptional up to a career high now. Number 32, 31 in the live rankings, number 32 in the points race, 28th in the points race. Excuse me he is going to find himself seated at the 2022 U.S. Open. And guess what, folks? He should be seated. Another exceptional performance for him. You look at, again, some of the other guys. Dan Evans just made his match physical, perplexed. Taylor Fritz, a 7-6, victory for Evans. Some of the stats from this match are kind of fun to look at. You look for Taylor Fritz, who, again, overall in the match played, I thought, pretty clean, hit 10 aces, you know, fought off 6 of 9 break points. You know, He fought off 6 of 9 break points. Dan Evans fought off 12 of 17 break point chances. Taylor Fritz overall in the match wins 105 points to Evans, 106. Hits 38 winners to Evans, 36. Also knocked in 31 unforced errors to Evans, 23. And Evans, 26 of 35 at the net. He just made Fritz uncomfortable with the slices moving forward forcing Fritz to have to play some defense and execute on his passing shots from uncomfortable positions. It's a very similar game plan to the one he employed against Andre Rublev around earlier. And again, if you can't handle the off speed and the physicality of Dan Evans, he's just going to make your match um, uh, and make the match miserable. 2 hours 43 minutes, Dan Evans 3-set victory. You look for Evans with his win, it you know, keeps him in the mix right now. Dan Evans currently in the live ranking finds himself at number 30, which again at 32 years old, you look for him in the points race Dan Evans 32nd. Get to set your schedule and given he was out due to suspension, he you know, he's going to play. He the, the drive, the desire, the passion is still there and physically he continues to play at a prime level and he has to remain in shape because physicality is such a predicate of his success. Match in, match out, or his success is predicated on it. Match in, match out. But you know, Evans, Tommy Paul, not the draw we uh, we match we drew up. Tommy Paul, a 58.1% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. Your last matchups, Pablo Carreño Busta taking on Jack Draper. Draper, the qualifier, the win of his career to date. He earns a straight set victory, 7-5, 7-6, over Stefano Pass follows that up, 6-2, uh, love-to victory over Gaël Mofi. Mofi forced to retire after he rolled his ankle, uh, running to a ball on the deuce side in that second set. You look for Draper. I mean, again, it's been a breakout season for him, and much of it's been at the challenger level, but he's now 38-11. and Overall, this season, winning 78% of his matches. He came through qualifying to get to this stage of the event. And obviously, you look for him, it's the biggest quarterfinal of his career first at the Masters 1000 level and with this result now Jack Draper who always worth remembering just 19 years old clearly going to ascend to a new career high and he's up to number 55 excuse me 20 years old now but number 55 in the live rankings you look for Draper he's also currently with this run 38th in the points race are you kidding me no, Jack Draper has been that good. He's holding 86.4% of the time this season across levels. And yeah, a lot of his ATP matches, in fact, all of them have come on either grass courts or, you know, he played one match on at Madrid, but Madrid, one of the faster gra- uh, clay court surfaces. So certainly that one's going to be advantageous to him. You know, it's either hard court, grass courts, or the most advantageous and quickest of the clay courts. But that serve just translates across level, and you know the twenty-year-old, six foot three, six foot four. He could scoot for a guy his size. He's fluid in and out of the outer thirds of the court, and the the forehands, the the serve and forehand combos, the money maker. The slice serve out wide as a lefty. The different spots he can hit on the deuce side. The way he can jam you with that slice into your body to set up the plus one forehand again. That's the money maker. But I like his backhand more. It's not, you know, it's a funky-ish swing, dare I say somewhat nori esque not to typecast the lefties but the drive he's able to generate. And there's some action on that ball. And yeah, from time to time, he'll leave that ball short, but it's more than just a placeholder. And he's comfortable stepping up on it, driving down the line. He's comfortable moving forward as well. Jack Draper just has weapons. He has, you know, I play on my own terms mindset. He has the athleticism necessary to succeed at this level. And you know again his lefty serve into the CC Pass backhand CC Pass was awful last night there's no doubt about it and then that match was even 7-5 7-6 is a testament to CC Pass's resolve and just you know some of the shakiness we saw from Draper and some of the biggest points of the match but The one-handed backhand was a problem for Tsitsipas, and this is not the sort of inspirational start you're looking for for, from him, particularly after what I thought was a major step forward during the grass court season, whether it was winning the title in Majorca or even the fun matches he played against Kyrgios. This was disappointing. Now, it was his first match in over a month since Wimbledon, but just you know, looked one-dimensional against Jack Draper. And that's a credit to Draper, who, again, has top 50 sort of weapons, weapons that regardless of the opponent are going to allow him to play on his own terms. And he did that certainly in the first set against Gaël Monfils, was fine, you know, was patient enough to wait for the Monfils short ball. And then when he got it, he attacked it. Um, But... Man, I mean, again, I'm in on Draper. That was a disappointing result, certainly, for Stefano Tsitsipas. That said, Draper's going to play who, in my opinion, and I started, we'll go full circle here to end today's show. Who's the best player in Canada so far? It's got to be Carreño Busta, who starts off the tournament 3-2 and over Berrettini, 0-3 over Rune. now 2-4 and over Yannick Sinner. I mean, the court speed in Montreal just seems to suit his game perfectly and it's just been another ho hummer sort of season for Pablo Crenio Busta. You look for him 25 and 17 overall, only a 60% win percentage was number 23 in the world coming into the week back up to 19 with his success this week. But, you know, what's the definitive Crenio Busta run this year? Certainly would be tough to point it out, right? This uh, quarterfinal in Montreal, probably his best result of the season. I guess finals in Barcelona where he beat Ruud Schwartzman before losing to Alcaraz in straights in the final. You know, there are some round of 16s here and there, and you look for Corina Busta, who, again, I mentioned overall here now, 25-17 and 17 overall in the year. You look for him in terms of first matches, he's 10-7 and 7 overall on the year. You know, there have been some stinkers to Antoine Bellier in Mallorca, to Federico Correa in Lyon, the loss to Jill Simone, first-round Roland Garros, and we're not that far removed to his first-round loss to Cressy at the U.S. Open last year, which has certainly aged fine, but... You know, again, there's been some inconsistencies. That said, boy, has Cranio Busta played well this week. And you just look for the service numbers for him. He's yet to face a break point against Sinner and Runa, two of the better returners on the ATP tour. And then he matched serve for serve with Matteo Berrettini. He's taken advantage of the quickness of the surface. He's his plus one forehands ripping through the court. It's going to be a fun matchup, though, to watch him take on the lefty Jack Draper, who, again, will be able to find that backhand a little bit more easily on the serve. And, you know, I'm fascinated to see Draper face this test because you look for Jack Draper overall on the year I mentioned. Uh, You know, again, he's won 78 percent of his matches, 38 and 11. But you look for him at the ATP level. He's now 11 and six. Um, you know, has played guys like Rublev, Hour, Nori close throughout the course of the season. I want to see him earn another signature victory. Got one over Tsitsipas. You know, can he earn another one here over Carino Busta and really make a run? Because if he makes the semifinals of this event, now all of a sudden Jack Draper is top 50 player in the world. And now that 2023 schedule going to look a lot different for the 20-year-old. It's already going to look different at 55 in the world. You can play whatever you want. Some of it may be qualifying, but Draper's coming, and again, two things every tennis coach likes to hear, big lefty. That's exactly what Jack Draper is. But again, you look overall at the Montreal matchups we've got happening. Certainly going to be fun. Again, top half of the draw, you've got Kyrios, the 54.4% favorite against Herkotts. Rude, 582 against FAA. Carino Busta, 615 feels a little low against Jack Draper. Credit to the success Draper's had, And then Tommy Paul, 58.1% against Dan Evans. With all of that said, that's your Thursday. At the 2022 National Bank Open, of course, we will be back tomorrow to recap what should be an exciting quarterfinal day of play. Of course, a shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job he does day in day out making all of this content possible a shout out as well to our friends at tennis point who have supported us day in day out and who are the reason we can recap monday's play tuesday's play wednesday's play play, thursday's play all day's play on the atp and wta tours learn more by going to tennis-point.com to find the latest and greatest products with all of that said for our super producer daniel westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know we say. That's the break. And we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.
0: Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.